Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Paid in Full podcast. I'm your host, Joe Rausch, and this is episode three. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, please subscribe. If you want to stay updated with the show, that would be awesome. Also, if you can rate the show, if you really like the, the content so far and the information, if you give me a little five-star rating action, I would love you for that. So thank you in advance. Um, on this episode, we are going to be talking all about sound recordings. Now, we've spent the last couple episodes focusing on the music composition side, the songwriting side. Uh, we talked about copyright and uh, we talked about publishing and really from a rights holder and a song writing perspective, which was really great because that really shares one uh, world of a song. But today we're going to dive into the sound recording side. This is a bit more glamorous. This is where the artists are. This is all about record labels uh, and performers. So um, if you are a performer yourself or a recording artist or a rapper, a singer, a DJ, you produce music, you make recordings, then this episode is for you. Now, before we get started, I wanted to comment quickly on a, a recent article that came out on Music Business Worldwide, and I'll be doing this from time to time if I feel there's something in the news that's relating to one of the topics we're discussing. So this article came out, and it was titled, Major Labels Are Now Generating Over $1 Million Every Hour From Streaming. And that's just such a wild title, but basically it breaks down to the three majors, Warner, Universal, and Sony, uh, jointly generated $22.9 million um, on average every 24 hours in 2019. So that's pretty wild. And it just shows you the power of streaming. Now, I believe that we're still in such an early stage of streaming of what it's actually going to be worldwide. The fact that we still have people uh, lots and lots of people buying CDs and buying physical product that aren't on streaming platforms yet or all around the world just shows you the actual potential that streaming is going to continue to have. Now, what's interesting about this is that these are major labels. What do major labels own? They own sound recordings. So it also emphasizes the value and the growth of sound recordings and what that means to our industry. Remember, it wasn't that long ago where major labels were complaining about streaming because they were losing so much revenue from their physical product. So when a headline like this comes out, it's good. It's, this is really good. And um, sound recording earnings are back and, and they're going to grow. So this is definitely an area to constantly pay attention to, especially because we're also during a time where independence is at its highest too. Aside from these three major labels, now we're in a place where so many people own their own sound recordings, they own their own masters, and we have more distribution options than ever before. So if you're an independent artist or, uh, you're, or you're in a deal, this is just good for you to understand the value of your masters and how it's going to continue to grow. So that being said, let's dive into sound recordings and you know me, when we dive in, I like to start by defining what we're talking about and then breaking it down from there. So defined by the U.S. Copyright Office, sound recordings are works that result from the fixation of a series of musical, spoken, or other sounds, but not including sounds accompanying a motion picture or other audiovisual work. What the hell was that? What did I just say? That sounds super convoluted. So let's break it down. Basically, a sound recording is a recorded performance of a work. 
um, a musical work or a musical composition, right? Now, the Copyright Office also says it has to be fixed in a medium that can be reproduced, perceived, or communicated. Um, and that can happen digitally or physically, meaning a digital recording like an MP3 or a WAV file or a tape, a record, a CD, etc. Now, from episode one, we know uh, just like a, a musical composition it has to be fixed in a tangible form. Very similarly here, we're seeing that fixed language again with the recording. Now, when we talk about recordings and, and sound recordings, they aren't just limited to songs and music, although that's where we like to focus. But I wanted to just get a little bit general here to give you a sense of what a sound recording can be. Now, they can almost be anything recorded. Like this podcast is a sound recording. An audiobook is a sound recording. Um, and it doesn't have to be just uh, words or music. There's uh, like rain or animal sounds. If you go on Spotify right now, there's several playlists like type in rainforest sounds and there'll be an entire playlist dedicated to rainforest sounds. So there's things like that that can also be uh, deemed as a sound recording. Another thing too is sound effects or music cues. Like when you see a trailer, I uh, had worked with a company that produced uh, trailer music and cues and sound design and sound effects. And basically the background effects of what's going on in a trailer, whether it's someone, you know, slamming a door or someone creeping up and you hear kind of a heartbeat sound or a drone sound or a, a breath kind of sound. These custom sounds are treated as sound design and those are individual masters. Now there are exceptions to sound recordings such as like single words or very short recordings or sounds. Um, it really comes down to the significant, the significant amount of authorship. Uh, that's how they, they kind of define it. So um, for it to be copyrightable. So keep that in mind too. Not, not everything, not every little recording ever is necessarily deemed a sound recording. Um, another one that they actually mention in the definition is the underlying sounds in a motion picture or audiovisual work, meaning say you watch a movie and you were to rip the sound of the entire movie, like all the dialogue, all the sound effects, everything just kind of rip the sound from it. That's not considered its own sound recording because it's considered a part of the overall audiovisual work and not separate when it was created. So you know, things like that. And I'm not talking about soundtracks here. I'm talking about literally like the audio stripped from like a movie. So those are just different examples and some exceptions, but hopefully that gives you a general sense of what a sound recording is. Now for us, our purpose, we want to talk about the sound recording as it relates to music. So the copyright in a sound recording is just for the recording itself. It doesn't protect the underlying creative work, which is the musical composition or that musical work that we were talking about when we were uh, discussing songwriting. So the copyright here is only for the recording side, okay? We can go back to the example of the song Nothing Compares to You, uh, where we said the sound recording was Sinead O'Connor. And the musical composition, the underlying work, is the song written by Prince. Both require two separate copyright registrations. Now, they can be on the same application, and we'll talk about that later, but the registration themselves, 
because they require two separate copyright protections. And they're even defined differently in terms of uh, their numbers, like all musical composition and musical work copyrights start with a PA and sound recordings start with an SR. Those are the ways the, they're, they're registered, their registration numbers are even in the copyright office. So these are two distinctions. So I, I, I mention this because a lot of people have come to me and said, hey, I registered my, my song. And I'll check the registration and it'll just be the sound recording and not the musical composition or vice versa. You have to do both sides if you own both sides. If you're a singer um, or a recording artist of any type and you write an original song and you record that song, you have to do both registrations to protect both components there. Just protecting the composition has nothing to do with protecting the sound recording, okay? This is an important point that I, that I want to really emphasize. Now, another point I want to emphasize is that when it comes to sound recordings, the recordings are not tapes or CDs or records themselves. Those are just, you know, the objects that contain the sound recording, but they're not the actual recording. Just another little distinction that I want to be very clear about. Now, just like musical compositions, sound recordings also have significant copyright protection. And most of the protection is similar to what we saw with musical compositions. So here are the, here are the rights that you get for sound recordings. You get the right to reproduction and make copies. You get the right to distribute. You get the right to make derivative works and the right to publicly perform by means of digital audio transmission. So all those were mentioned as well in episode one. Now, the distinction here that we don't see that musical compositions have are the right to publicly perform for non-digital audio transmissions or publicly display. Obviously, you can't display a recording like you could the lyrics of a musical composition. So those are the two rights that are not included in a sound recording. So now, you know, we've been comparing the sound recording and musical composition, and this is the area that parallels music publishing companies and record labels, because music publishing companies represent the musical compositions. Record labels represent the sound recordings or the master recordings. So... I'm going to go on a quick tangent because this is kind of a funny example and a weird thing to think about when we're making this distinction. And I use that term parallel because, because record labels and music publishing companies can be on two sides of the same song. Take this scenario. You're a songwriter and you're signed to Universal Music Publishing through a music publishing deal. And you're also an artist, so you record the songs that you write. And as an artist, you're signed to Universal Records, which is a part of Universal Music Group. So they function as two different companies. Again, as a writer, Universal Music Publishing. As an artist, Universal Records. And split yourself into two people. Even though you're the same physical person, you still have to split yourself into two as a songwriter and as a recording artist. So... Your deal with Universal Music Publishing owns the musical compositions and your deal with Universal Records owns the master. Now, if Universal Records, the one that 
owns the master recording, the sound recording, they want to release that recording of your song, of your musical composition, Universal Records has to get permission in of the form of a license, what's called a mechanical license, but they have to get permission from Universal Music Publishing to use your song, your musical composition, in the sound recording because musical compositions are the underlying uh, work in a sound recording. And remember, under copyright law, you have the right to distribute, the right to reproduce and make copies as a songwriter. So if a record label wanted to put out a recording with your song in it, then they have to get that permission formally and pay you for it. Even though it's your song that you're recording. And that's the part that I try to explain to people how you have to split yourself in two. You as an artist need permission from you as a writer to use your song in your recording. It sounds super weird and that might have just made you know your head explode. I'm sorry if it did, but because um, when I started putting that concept first together, when I first, first got into music publishing, it was super weird. But that's what happens. It's much easier when the person who's recording the song is not the songwriter. That's much easier to comprehend, but that's why I like bringing up that funny example. Like, for example, going back to Nothing Compares to You, Sinead O'Connor, who did the recording, her record label has to get permission from Prince's publishing company because they're using Prince's song in a Sinead O'Connor recording. I just always think it's weird when you're the same person. The concept, it gets a little more difficult. So sorry for getting a little nerdy right there. Hopefully um, it didn't confuse anyone. But it's just something important to think about and a good exercise to get you thinking about the two different sides of, uh, of a song. Now, another quick example of comparing the sound recording and the musical composition comes with sampling. So if you create a song and you sample a song, you're sampling the recording itself and the recording has the underlying musical composition in it. So if you were to use a sample... And when we talk about sample clearance, this is going to come way later, but just a little sneak peek. When you sample something, you have to get permission from the record label because they own the sound recording that you're sampling. And then you also have to get permission from the music publisher because you're using the musical composition that's in that recording. And if there's multiple writers, you have to go to each one of their music publishers and get permission. So There's a lot of combined rights in a sample that you need when trying to clear that sample for your track. And you got to be careful. You know, one person who owns a piece of that may not want it and that can prevent you from getting the proper rights. But again, I just wanted to bring that up to showcase the two sides of these songs and, uh, and what they mean. So now let's talk about sound recordings in the real world. Um, And I want to focus this part kind of on distribution because that element has changed so much. That and the way to create a song has changed so much. So traditionally, it was very hard to own your own masters. You know, we hear it now, own your masters, own your masters. It's it's such a, a tagline, especially with distribution companies. But because it was very, very hard to own your masters back in the day when there wasn't, you know, means of recording music. We didn't have laptops or programs or computers. You had to go into a studio. It cost a lot of money. And then 
there was no digital at the time. So production, you had to produce copies of records and vinyls and CDs and tapes. And this is what record labels did. And to fund that entire expensive process, they would own your master recordings. And essentially, that's what a record deal is. A record deal, they own your masters. You get in advance and money and they they give you marketing money and touring money and recording budgets and all this other stuff in order to make that happen. I mean, that's the exchange. But record labels are still in the business of owning masters. When you do a record deal, you're doing what's called a work made for hire. That's what it's considered because you're almost treated like an employee of the label. They own the master recording. And again, we're just talking about like straight recording deals, not distribution deals, not JVs, none of that. We're just talking about kind of traditional record deals here. But now the industry has changed quite a bit. There's no barrier to entry or very little barrier to entry like there once was. You can make a song right now on your laptop using an abundance of different programs, whether it's something like GarageBand all the way to Logic to Ableton to Pro Tools, whatever you want to do. Um, You can easily create a song right now, record it, and then distribute it throughout the world using companies like TuneCore or DistroKid. Um, Or you could just do a distribution deal with a company like Empire, Ingrooves, or United Masters. I mean, there's so many different ways to distribute your music while you maintain ownership of your sound recordings, of your masters. And that's what it means to own your masters, is to own your sound recordings, to not give them up in a recording deal. And the influx of independence right now um, and the power of independence right now has made this side of the industry also grow. And it's given artists a tremendous amount of power uh, because you are owning your sound recordings and there's a ton of value in that. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. Again, we're talking about ownership. So if you're someone that writes your own songs and records your own music, you have ownership on two sides. That's a lot of value. So really think about that when you're looking to do a deal and what that means and what are companies really going to do to boost your career and what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up? What are you keeping? All these thoughts, really understanding your ownership in this is going to help you think about these situations and have the conversations and make better career decisions because ownership is really, really where it's at right now. And some people say like, yeah, you could own 100% of nothing or 50% of something. That's totally true. That's in every business. That's whether you're a startup tech company or any business that requires any type of investment. I mean, that's just straight business. But the point is, is that you have to think about it first as ownership. I'm not saying doing a record deal is bad. I'm not saying maintaining ownership of your masters is good or your compositions is good. It all depends on where you're at in your, in your career and what decisions you want to make to push your career forward. My job is just explaining to you very clearly what you own so you can make better decisions and be very clear with what you're giving up. And that's purely what it is because there's just too many people in this industry that get into deals that do not even read the contracts, let alone know what they own, let alone know what they're giving up. It just, it just happens in the industry. It's hard to walk away from a big check. I get it. And I'm not saying walk away from big checks. I'm just saying, first, 
understand what you own and what you may be giving up for that. And then you can make a better decision. All right. That's my little soapbox moment, but let's bring it back to the facts. So when we talk about ownership, we have to talk about protecting it. You know, I'm a big, big advocate about protecting and let's do it the right way. So the way you do it is very similar to how we did it with the musical compositions. You're first going to go to the U.S. Copyright Office. That's www.copyright.gov. That's copyright.gov. Uh, when you go there, you're going to go to the homepage and you're going to click register a work the same way, create an account, log in if you already have an account set up. And this time when you do type of work that you're registering with musical composition, we said it was work of the performing arts for this time, you're going to just simply click sound recording. Okay. Now remember the whole point of registering your sound recording with the copyright office is to enforce your rights and document and prove your ownership, okay? So just walking you through a few steps of that uh, registration, uh, it's gonna ask you for the title, it has to be the title of the exact title of the final recording. Then it's gonna also ask you if it's published or unpublished. Again, this means if it was distributed to the public, it's deemed published. And if it hasn't yet been distributed to the public, then it's unpublished. And you can register either way. Um, you get the exact same protection. Now, the author of this is going to be the featured performer and the producer of the final recording. However, note that if you do get into a record deal, you won't be doing this part the author is going to be the record company because you, again, will be treated almost like an employee of that record company making a work made for hire. So um, the record label becomes the author. Now, because the same registration fee is $55, you can also do these as a collective. For example, if you're recording for an album and you have an album's worth of recordings, you can do that as long as the um, authors are the same and the owners of those recordings are the same. And if it's unpublished, if it's not released yet, you can do them as a group of unpublished works. Again, the ownership has to be the same on every single sound recording. Now, once your registration is complete, you're going to have to submit a deposit and that can be just in digital form. Obviously, not many of us are really dealing with physical music anymore um, unless it's vinyl, but most of it's going to be digital. So uh, you can just upload an MP3 or WAV file, but a WAV file might be too big sometimes, but either or you can upload a digital file and that'll qualify as your registration and your sound recordings will now be protected the right way. And from there, especially if you're doing like a distribution deal or you're maintaining ownership, this is a really, really crucial step. Also, I'm a fan of registering sound recordings that aren't the absolute final product because especially on a music side, as music creators, if you're creating a, a beat, for example, and that recording that you're creating through your program, say it's, you know, FL Studio, and you make a beat and that beat gets pitched for somebody but doesn't get picked up for whatever reason, I think it's still very important to register that with the copyright office in its instrumental form because that will give you proof and able to enforce any rights if that beat happens to 
get on a record and you're not credited. You know, this happens so much where people are like, that was my beat. And now I have to fight it here. I'll show you it's timestamped. Look, I have it in my system. I have it in FL studio. I have it in my computer. That's all great. And yeah, those are all things that can prove it's yours. But if you want to take it to court, you have to have it registered with the U.S. Copyright Office. That enforces your rights. So again, this is your creation. You know, protect it. I know it, it can be tough, and you don't want to register. But you know, if you feel like you want that extra layer of protection, I highly recommend you do it. And especially if you're releasing music out to the public on your own, definitely, definitely register your songs. It can save your ass and it's worth it. It takes 10 or 15 minutes max. It's really not that expensive. So just do it, okay? So that's the basics of sound recordings. Now you know the difference between sound recordings and musical compositions and why that matters so much. So if you write and record your own music, you have a lot that you're owning right there. Make sure it's protected because that's the catalog and legacy that you're building. Also, when we start talking about publishing deals and label deals a lot more in depth, you'll have a better understanding of which side we're talking about and how it's going to affect you. Now, I know this was a lot. If you have any questions, as always, drop a comment or connect on social media at Paid in Full Pod on uh, both IG and Twitter. Also, if you have any royalty-related questions or anything dealing with uh, copyright or you need help with registrations, you can go to royaltymanagement.com and send me a note there. Uh, It's royaltymgmt.com. Either way, find me on the interwebs and I'm happy to help anytime. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much again for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. 